0: An issue for all women. Hello, Mickey here. Welcome to one of this week's Sunday Chops. Over on Chops number two, or you know, one, depending on how you've picked these up, Hannah asks what Michael Gove's recent drugs-related revelations mean for his crack at the Tory leadership contest, and chats drugs in the Commons in general with Dr Susie Gage, host of the Say Whiter Drugs podcast, and with one of our favourite political correspondents, Aisha Hazarika. Just on that note, I went to see macabre vaudevillian oddballs, the Tiger Lilies this week, Excellent. And their join-in number involved a full house of middle-aged weirdos yelling the word drugs a lot. Maybe it's knowing your crowd, maybe it was the atmosphere they create, but it was a very, and I cannot stress this enough, very enthusiastic sing-along. Just saying. Just saying, Daily Mail. Anyway, on this chops, I'm chatting to comedian and author Susan Carman about her new book, Sunny Side Up. I mean, the book is why we're talking, but we cover all sorts of stuff from how to navigate the depressing environment of people just constantly yelling at each other about politics to making the future a kinder place for all of us, from thumbs up Thursdays to being bait on death row, seriously. And at one point it just descends into cat chat, but you know, no surprises or indeed apologies there because cats are excellent, as is Susan. So here she is. I am joined on the phone by comedian, author, strictly alumnus, and all-round excellent Wonder Woman, Susan Carmen. Hello, Susan. Hello, how
1: are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Look, I'm fine, actually. I've just been doing some cleaning, so I'm feeling amazing. You've only gone and written another bloody book, mate. I know I have. I know I have, <laughs> and it's out on paperback right now. <laughs> so, yes, I, I like writing books, actually. It's a awesome. A pleasurable way of living
0: a life, I think. So book two, Sunnyside Side Up, is a story of kindness and joy, and it's sort of part memoir, part manifesto to make the world a nicer place. It is. It has been
1: subtitled The Cow Manifesto Lovely um, stuff. of Happiness. Thank you very much indeed. I try and get my name into everything <laughs> in a pun-like fashion. I've used the Calman before the storm that one's gone I think my next book will probably be entitled The Calmanac. because that's the one I've been waiting to use for some time
0: I suppose you have to build up to that you need more dates
1: well that's really, that's really the end point isn't it if you're writing a Calmanac, <laughs> that's really got to be the end point of everything so my first book Cheer Up Love was about depression and mental health and anxiety and this one is trying to look at a more positive way of living my life. Because after writing the first book, I realised I was quite depressed. And it's quite tiring to be depressed all the time. And I was trying to see if I could change my life up a bit.
0: Yeah, it is a very different, Carmen, from days of yore. So... If three years ago, someone had said to you, you're going to write a book about finding kindness and joy in the world, what would your response have been?
1: I would mean, have said that sounds like a, an incredible fictional book that someone might write <laughs> at some point, but not me. Funny, the process of writing a book about how depressed you are makes you realise how depressed you are. And actually, you know, writing that book and then having to talk about it a lot on kind of in book festivals made me realize that I was, I mean, 40-odd years in my life had been spent feeling quite upset and angry at myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to, I'm going to use the term waste because it's a personal term. I'm not talking about people who have depression wasting their life, but from my point of view, there was a lot about my depression and anxiety I could control and I could change. Um, I'll always be depressed and anxious, but I can do something about it. And I thought, right, I'll try and do something about it so that I'm for my wife and my family and my friends as well so that life's a bit
0: more cheerful it's a really candid look at your depression and how you deal or sometimes are unable to deal with what you call the crab of hate did writing sunny side up help deal with the crab at all
1: yeah I mean it was part of the process after writing cheer up love and then actually doing strictly was quite a, a challenge but also quite life-changing and so the, the funny "Up, it, it did it made me sometimes if you write things down I'm a great believer in writing things down because I think in that way you can really think about what you're doing and then you especially in terms of editing books you have to reread things and you think my goodness that's a silly thing to say or that's something I hadn't thought of before and and it kind of helps you clarify your own thought process mm-hmm. And so funny side up I started writing before strictly. So it was funny how it all evolved over the course of about a year and a half to the conclusion when, when I finally finished it. So I think writing things down it always helped me. Cheer up, love helped me and then this one also did as well.
0: That's really interesting that you started writing it before Strictly because you talk in Side Up about what you call your road to Damascus moment which yeah. is basically going on Strictly and then going oh what the fuck have I just signed up for? Yeah. So I kind of thought it was all around that. Can you can you tell us about how that affected your writing then? Well I was
1: wanting to write about about kindness and joy anyway because and it's kind of a strange prescient thing that this was... As Brexit was happening, because I started writing on my stand-up chair, so Brexit had happened, and everyone thought it was going to be over quickly. (laughs) Um, Oh, God. Trump Trump was running for president. I just had a feeling that the world was becoming more unkind. I was trying to write something for people like myself who don't want to be angry about everything and want to be positive, to try and change things positively. You know, I don't go on protest marches and I know people will get very angry about me, but I'm frightened of them. I'm a tiny human being and I get swamped by people and people get quite angry about things and I I find it difficult to cope with that aspect of Mm -hmm. protesting. But people who don't like the way things are going, but also who don't want to just shout at each other, that's what, you know, during the referendum, the Brexit referendum, people were just shouting at each other. And part of kindness as I talk about in the book, is about listening to other people's point of view. And you may not agree with them, but I just feel like they don't listen anymore to other people. And all that happens is that people shout at each other and we never get anywhere. And we've been stuck in kind of this weird purgatory for for a few years now, of just people shouting at each other. And so it's this old-fashioned idea of listening to other people's arguments. Because politics just now... It has just ended up being something that I can't quite cope with anymore because it's just shouting people shouting at each other and I don't I don't think that's the politics that I really want in my life.
0: Sometimes you look around at the world and it is just oh it's just a raging bin fire but your approach is that the smaller kindnesses that's when they really
1: come into play. Absolutely and I think you know even in the press there's this you know it's like the if you've ever watched the film Demolition Man... Of course I have, um, of course. Of course. So, so in the basement where Dennis is living, it's been fires and revolution, and that's kind of what the world is just now. It's Demolition Man, really, underneath the surface. And um, from from my point of view, we are being told so many things about what we are in this country, and I think it's about starting a quiet revolution to take things back. And by that I mean with a bit of kindness and a bit of respect. It sounds tremendously old-fashioned. But the example I use in the book is I'm absolutely against capital punishment. i worked on death row, specifically to try and stop people being executed. And I'm quite happy to talk to someone about the death penalty if people are in favour of it, as long as they've got an argument that we can discuss, you know, we can talk about it. Because to sit in my study just now and think I'm ideologically correct about everything, is an incorrect position Mm -hmm. and I've changed that's one of the biggest points in the book is I've changed dramatically over the course of four or five years and that's not to say others might change as well and the way I've changed is by listening and evolving as a human being. That's one of the greatest parts of humanity is how we evolve and learn. I think we're interrupting that learning process by becoming quite intransigent and quite settled in positions and I'm not criticizing anybody for how they feel about anything i just don't like being shouted at about how i should feel about something
0: yeah it very rarely wins the fight for want of a better word if you're just yelling absolutely. at someone mm.
1: yeah absolutely and, and i think it's just becoming partly because of social media i suspect an exercise in in, sh- in short statements and as I say at the start of the day, people very rarely vote because of one thing. It's a, it's a balancing exercise. If you vote for a political party or a proposition, it's not about one thing necessarily. Most of us sit these days and look at a ballot paper and think, God, what am I going to do now? And you balance what you're going to vote for. Human beings are complex, beautiful things. And I think part of kindness is appreciating that and accepting the fact that, that people are more than one thing. I am a, a gay woman, so that's not all I am. But it hugely defines my politics, LGBTQ issues. But it's not everything about who I am. There's a lot more to my politics than just one thing. And I think that's part of what kindness is, is just looking at a holistic view of who a person is. But I sound all serious, don't I? I sound all serious and, you know, and it, I suppose it is. But at the same time, I, I, it's trying to be lighthearted as well because things are so depressing just now. But it's quite important to try and not be depressed all the time about the state of the world because there are still good people in it. There are still good people in it and there are still good things in it to focus on.
0: And I think we can be swamped by 24-hour news and the sort of black and white nature of Twitter into forgetting that there are decent people out there as well. The book is a warm, gorgeous, funny thing. It's a joyful read, even though you touch on very serious matters. And you mentioned Strictly a couple of times in the book, there are a couple of chapters devoted to it. And it isn't being over dramatic to say
1: that Strictly utterly changed your life, is it? No, no, I mean, it absolutely did. I mean, one of the reasons I did it is one of the uh, entertaining parts of my anxiety is I like to control everything. (laughs) I dislike dislike it when I'm not in control. And my wife gets very annoyed at that (laughs) and said something like, why don't you just do something different, Susan? And I went, all right, then I'll do strictly because I don't like to do things, you know, by half. <laughs> the thing is, once you say yes to it, it's only at that point you think, what the fuck have I done? What the fuck have I done? Because, I suppose you kind of thought maybe I could, maybe I wouldn't need to go the whole hog, and then you realise, no, you really have to go the whole hog. You have to do the full glittery dresses and makeup, and actually, I quite ended up quite enjoying all that kind of part of it because it was very different to what I'd done before but it forced me to do a number of things the first of which was actually looking a mirror for the first time in about 12 years because I didn't have any mirrors in my house because I disliked how I looked so much but you can't avoid it when you're prancing around the studio doing a samba Mm -hmm. on a very basic level it made me confront some of the things I'd been avoiding for a long time and on a very basic level there's a chapter called You Love Me You Really Love Me it's a public voting thing no one wants to go out first I didn't know if anyone would actually vote for me and the fact that people enjoyed what we were doing you know you're meant to do it for the love of dance but unquestionably people actually enjoyed what I did gave me a confidence boost the likes of which I've never had before. So tell us about
0: HTDs that seems to lead really nicely on from that. The happiness transmitted disease. There you go.
1: One of the, the greatest things about joy and happiness is the effect it has on others so there's a tremendous desire sometimes it's easier to be negative than positive sometimes Yes. and sometimes when people see other people's joy they don't want people to be happy and the thing is happiness spreads the first thing is we have to let people be happy now it happens all the time on social media so if you tweet I'm going on holiday someone will tweet good for you I'm glad you can afford to go on holiday some people in this country can't go on holiday and you think oh god I'm going on holiday I'm a terrible person yeah The other day I was on a train and I had a nice sandwich and I tweeted I had a nice sandwich. And people said, what sandwich have you got? And I didn't want to say. Because if I said what it was, people would say it was a shit sandwich. Because people like to say something negative if you're happy about something. The first thing is to let people be happy about their lives. And if you see people who are happy, it is contagious. When I was dancing on Strictly, I was having such a nice time, despite all the stresses and anxiety. But I looked like I was enjoying myself, I was genuinely having the time of my life on that show. And I realised it was making other people happy. To see this slightly short Scottish lesbian <laughs> swirling on the television was making people happy. And it spreads. And that's a glorious thing that actually if you let people be happy and you find what makes you happy, it can make people happier. It's a very simple thing. To allow people to be happy and enjoy that happiness that other people have, and that was the most I think interesting part of it was you kind of forget there are you know 11 million people watching the show, most of whom watch it because they they love it. I always say that if you're on Strictly, it's like we're wartime entertainers. You're dropped in in the autumn to cheer people up, and it's as simple as that. It's no more complicated than that. You go and tell in some nice costumes. You have a lovely time. You have a dance people enjoy it and that's it's a very simple thing and knowing that people especially kids were enjoying it and seeing someone who wasn't six thin and six feet tall doing a tango was great because you know I did it partly so my niece could understand that she could do anything she wanted and never let someone tell her she couldn't because if her auntie was on telly dressed as Wonder Woman she can do anything god damn it
0: Absolutely. I think she's your the road to Damascus moment, isn't she? Yes, I suppose
1: she is. My little <laughs> niece, who's approximately seven, let's say. Um, I, I think my my worldview has changed since... because I don't have any kids. And of course I was concerned about the planet, but I'm now more concerned because of her and the world we're growing up in. Mm-hmm. I'm very concerned that she doesn't need to go through the things which I went through. And disappointingly, I'm still going through this kind of bizarre LGBTQ stuff that's happening about education in schools and even, you know, American bishops talking about pride. All of this stuff, which I thought, you know, growing up with Section 28 and Clause 28 had gone, is still there. Oh, well, come on now,
0: Susan. Science is going to cure gayness, according to Anne Widdicombe. Who are we to fight with of Anne? Of course. <laughs> for
1: fuck's of sake. Of course. I used to do a brilliant joke about converting... No, it wasn't a brilliant joke. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I used to do a joke about, confer- you know, curing the gays, that I'd be happy to experiment for them if they wanted to lock me in a room with Jodie Foster and some baby oil and see if <laughs> that would cure me. Because the idea that you can be cured of something is, of course... Whether they mean it or not, indicating that we are some form of disease. Yes, it's horrific. And in fact, some of the language used about should children be exposed to homosexuality, again, is part of this horrific thing we grew up with, which is that all gays are paedophiles and criminals and perverts and all of this kind of stuff, which I genuinely thought we'd left behind 20 years ago. You know, people will always think that gay people are strange, odd, perverted, whatever, but I thought... Generally, our politicians would have left that behind this is now legal for me to marry I am married that's fine and it's not about showing children a porn video of gay people it's about simply saying that different types of families exist When well, you're talking about educating children about LGBTQ you know matters it's not about something perverted but it's one of those things that I think it looks in cheer up love. If you go onto some websites, they're blocked by train companies and hotels, like Diva Magazine or Stonewall can be blocked because it just says they were gay in the title, because everything to do with being gay is porn, of course. Is that still a thing? that they're, they're blocked? There are still places, there's still, if you go onto certain train companies and you try and look up certain websites, they'll be blocked Fucking for sexual hell. content. I usually, if I find that, try and raise it with the companies. But it's one of those things that I'm writing my new Radio 4 series just now, and in it I'm talking about families. And whenever I'm on the radio or the television, I always get a a load of people on Twitter saying, why do I keep going on about being a lesbian? Why do I keep yittering on about my wife? And it's because people are still saying that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And I do it in a fun. I hopefully do it in a funny way. I'm simply talking about my life. You know, the best thing I think I ever did in terms of promoting Equality and LGBTQ issues will go on strictly come down where my wife was sitting in the front row every week, and it was just a, thats just what it is. It's, it's, it's what you can do now: women can marry women, men can marry men. That's the curious thing. And so, I don't want my niece to grow up. Well, she is growing up. <laughs> I'd really hope she won't. She won't grow up.
0: <laughs> yeah, no,
1: I understand. In a in a world where whatever she chooses to be, people are still commenting on it. I don't know what she'll end up being, but. I really rather hoped she would grow up in a world where whatever sexuality she ends up being is not judged by others. Whether she's straight or bi or whatever she wants, you know, whatever it is that she didn't grow through what I went through when I was younger. Hey there, you lot. If you want to follow every aspect of our lives on
0: social media, and why wouldn't you, because you're only human, you can! We're on Twitter as a team at Standard Issue UK or individually on at Inspira at That Dunleavy, and at Mixed Noonan. And I'd like to think it'll be fairly obvious who's who. We're on Facebook as well at Standard Issue Magazine and even Instagram at Standard Issue Podcast. Come to us. Look at our faces. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. You do a lovely interruption of yourself in Sunnyside up now and again with chapters called Travels With My Plant. And it's about when you've asked audience members in your stand-up shows to tweet you with acts of kindness that have happened to them or that they've performed. And some of them are just,
1: like, they're so heartwarming. They make me so happy because they're absolutely delicious. They're often about people feeling lonely or down and how people have dealt with it. There's one particular one which I love, which is a, a woman said she was she was in a cafe. And the reason I like this is because, and this is no disrespect to any men, who are listening to this but it's a particularly I think male way of dealing with it and I love it the woman said she was trying to cry discreetly in the corner of a cafe and a man made her a balloon penguin <laughs> that is so and lovely. you can just see this guy going I don't know what to do I'll make her a balloon penguin that'll cheer her up and it did and I just thought that's a lovely thing to do oh my gosh you wouldn't be cheered up by someone giving you a balloon penguin and I just think that's a it's a lovely story but I mean there's so, there's so many nice ones one of my favorites, just in terms of spontaneous kindness, there's a woman telling a story about her mother who was at a supermarket checkout. And her mother was at a supermarket checkout. In front of her mother, didn't have enough money to pay for her shopping. And so this woman's mother tapped that person on the shoulder and said, here's that five I owe you. And it was a way of giving this person the money without embarrassing her. Mm-hmm which I think is a beautifully kind thing to do. Kindness and thoughtful. Kindness and thoughtful. And I mean, the book is full of really beautiful stories of people just being nice to each other. It's just a lovely thing because when I asked those people for their stories, I didn't define kindness. I didn't, you know, tell people what I meant by kindness. And more importantly, and I think this is one of the major points of the book, most of the people telling me the stories didn't know the person's name who was kind to them. And they just moved on from each other and they didn't know them. And that, well, you might think what you're doing to someone is irrelevant or just a small thing. These people have remembered these acts of kindness and then have told me about them. You can literally change someone by a very small thing that you do. You know, I was at a big festival last night and someone raised the question, which is absolutely right, which is, I think we're all quite afraid... To to contact each other if you see someone who's upset there's a fear of talking to someone and i understand that kind of you know especially with a lot of the press about mental health issues you know you're worried about it i've decided i'd rather speak to someone than you know when you go home and you think god i hope they're okay yeah i'd rather speak to someone than sit at home worrying about them afterwards someone tells me to fuck off, they tell me to fuck off. But I'd rather speak to them and see if they're okay.
0: I think it is that that kindness can be a risky business, but the rewards are well
1: worth it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I'm on a train, I always ask people if they want help with their luggage. You know, because you see people and people just walk off the train and leave other people with their suitcases or their prams or, you know, whatever. If I'm in London and I see people in the tube with a pram and kids, all you need to do is say, do you want a hand with it? And it can... Help them because I mean I know from my sister's point of view with her two kids, going out is difficult. You know when you've got a couple of screaming wains, mm-hmm. and if you just say Do you want a hand with that, it can make the day easier. So no skin off my nose to spend two minutes helping someone up a flight of stairs. So why not? Yeah, and I think even for
0: passers-by, like if it, if you've not got their first someone else has beaten you to it to help someone it is really like oh good someone did that and even then you get that little htd that kind of oh someone did a kind thing that's passed on to me absolutely Mm. if you see people if you
1: see people just being nice to each other you know i refuse to stop smiling at people in london (laughs) i refuse because i do i smile at people in london and on the tube and i know people think there's something wrong with me but I refuse to stop doing it because occasionally someone will smile back at me. We used to have a game called Thumbs Up Thursday. So if I was waiting for the bus, you'd always give two thumbs up to car drivers. (laughs) And see the amount of people that gave you two thumbs up back and then smiled and carried on. If you do Thumbs Up Thursday, it's a brilliant thing. That sounds great. I love it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So it sounds like you might have been grumpy in the past, but you've always been a kind person. Except maybe to yourself. And I think that is the trickiest one for a lot of us, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think I think being kind to ourselves is the most difficult of all. Whether it be in the way that we look or the way that we act or our job or whatever it is. I'm so unkind to myself. And it's the one thing that my wife always says is she wishes I was kinder to myself. Rather than always being so annoyed at myself. You know, and... That is the most difficult thing to do, though, is to just cut yourself a bit of slack. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not horrific people, generally, you know. But if you're not kind to yourself, if you wake up angry and upset all the time at yourself, that feeds into daily life. That feeds into how you see other people. And the, the hardest job I've had to do is to try and be kinder to myself. And some days I'm great at it, and some days I'm not great at it. Some days I wake up with that, hideous anger towards myself and that's a tough thing because that's the most self-destructive thing is to not be kind to yourself so you know you can spend your entire life helping everyone else but be miserable within yourself and that that is the toughest job I've got to try and be kind to myself and it's an ongoing project I have to say.
0: Yeah, I think we we have to keep trying at it every single day. I've had friends who are sad, and it's that thing of, okay, the way you're talking about yourself, if I had come to you with this problem, would you say that to me? And they'd be like, oh, no, God, no, I'd be like... And I'm like, Okay, so treat yourself like you're your friend. I know. it's so hard sometimes.
1: I think sometimes losing perspective is a very interesting thing. Uh, When I went to a very good therapist and had cognitive behavioural therapy... One of the things she always said to me was, what's the empirical evidence for your belief? So, you know, everyone hates me. You know, what's your empirical evidence? Well, just the way I feel. Well, then there's no evidence, is there? That's just you because you've <laughs> been on Facebook and someone's having a better time than you and they didn't invite you to something. And that was the, that they, they were the chapters in Cheer Up Love I found most interesting. I hate going to parties, right? Because I feel socially awkward. And I've told everyone that they don't invite me and then they don't invite me and I hate them because they haven't invited me to their party yeah. even though I didn't want to go in the first place and then I think everyone hates
0: me and you'd have probably given yourself a hard time for having to say no and worrying what they think by the fact that you can't make it to their party exactly yeah, totally.
1: exactly and then there's this hideous thing as well that if you've got these kind of feelings that you spend ages worrying about what you did at the party and that everyone hates you and they said the wrong thing Because it's depressive, Uh, we're kind of megalomaniacs. We think everyone's talking about us all the time. And I say, nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit what I did 10 years ago. But I'm lying in bed at night going, God, I hope they weren't upset about what I said. (laughs) You should probably get over it a little bit, Susan. You just forget that everyone else
0: is too busy wrapped up in their own shame wells to be bothered about yours. But that's
1: the thing. You have to realize you're not the only person in the entire world. Other people feel just as shit about themselves as you do. So but it's one of those things that that's part of kindness, though, as well. I I am not a nasty person. I don't believe I have ever particularly deliberately attempted to upset someone. So I have to be kind to myself and say, Susan, that's not something you would have done. You know, you have to believe in what you know that you are. And in terms of how you look, you just have to go right, look, this is the card you've been dealt love. I'm four foot ten. There's nothing's gonna help you. You just have to deal with it. Have you accepted the loss of the
0: other inch. <laughs> I thought you were four foot eleven.
1: I have now I've started I've started saying I'm four foot ten. I've started telling the truth <laughs> to the public because that extra inch I went I had some dental surgery. Uh, recently and the truth was finally confirmed and I've just got to deal with it okay (laughs) that's my height Um, it just sounds so short I'm actually happier than I've ever been as I get older that is really lovely to hear there's a certain freeing I'm 44 I I care less now than I did before about how people perceive me so I love model railways. I'm obsessed with them. I want one in my back garden. <laughs> you know, eight years ago I might not have said that. <laughs> I thought oh, maybe I'll get on BBC Three or a fancy youth comedy program. Now I don't care. I like model railways. And part of the message of the book is if you enjoy something, if it doesn't hurt anyone else, just embrace it stop pretending you you know when people came up to me and said i really liked you on strictly please don't tell anyone i watched it yeah just enjoy it just enjoy watching you know i'm often asked in these interviews to have a guilty pleasure there's no guilty pleasure just be proud of what makes you happy and embrace it i've got to point out
0: to the listeners that the size of model railway that you want is one that you can ride the train isn't it
1: Yes, although I'm short, so that should be anything. <laughs> no, um, uh, you know when you see uh, the model railways you sometimes see in funfairs yeah. little ones that you can sit on. That's what I want, oh. and I'll see it. So I'll have a love train and a Halloween train, and it'll go from the bottom of my drive. So if you come and see me, you ring a bell, and I go, <laughs> and I'll pick you up on the train and take you up the driveway. Are you in? Yeah. Are you in a uniform? That's right. Oh, I'm going to have different uniforms. I'll have a formal uniform. I'll have a Casey Jones engineer uniform. <laughs> I'm going to have the whole wardrobe. Yeah. I'm so that's excited. We're actually, we're bulldozing the back garden completely. And I'm hoping that that'll be the start of the model train.
0: This is lovely stuff. I have got a little act of kindness for you for this conversation. Yes. So you mentioned in Sunnyside Up that you've got a jar full of old pound coins because you missed the spend them deadline. Yes. Well, if you take them to your bank, they will swap them for spendables. Oh, really? Yes, because I'm moving house, and so I found a load of old ten, not a load, I found two old tenors and a load of old pound coins, and you uh-huh. can take them to your bank and they just swap them for actual cash.
1: Well, that's what I'm doing with that basket of coins that's <laughs> currently holding open the kitchen door. Oh, good, right, fine. I've been using them because um, one of my cats has uh, anxiety issues. Not my fault, I didn't do it. <laughs> and she tries to hide. So we have to make sure we've, we've DCI Jane Tennyson proofed the house because when she hides, we can't find her again as we're trying to build her confidence. <laughs> no, no, as well as building my confidence, I'm currently building the cat's confidence as well. So it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> DCI Jane
0: Tennyson as well. She is going to be the one who can investigate all of the hiding places out of all of your cats. Well,
1: she's very good. She's very good at that and uh, I mean, she, we found her in the, we don't have a basement, we've just got a crawl space and she ended up in there at one point and, and it's because all of my cats have health issues, we rescued them because no one else wanted them and DCI Jane Tennyson has severe anxiety issues because she was very badly treated before we got her and so the other day she put her paw on my leg and I almost died of excitement. Because, because that's her slowly learning to trust us after three years so yeah <laughs> oh, I
0: love this, I love my cat You give tips for joy in Sunnyside up, and one of them is spend time with animals and I couldn't agree more, it's the thing that no matter how down I am my two lovely old cats, Ross and Mark kept me going so many times and Clarky oh, yeah. Cat is now taking up the mantle and doing sterling work
1: Absolutely, there's no, there's no question when I come home I get into my pyjamas, doesn't matter what time of day it is, in the pyjamas I sometimes sit on my bed and think that's what I call it when I nap with a cat so that my wife doesn't think <laughs> my wife sometimes says what you do all day and I'm like oh I'm thinking and actually that's code for I lie in the bed and they all line uh, beside me and we have a nap <laughs> and <laughs> it's the nicest thing in the world just to be surrounded by five cats having a think for about half an hour until I wake up and think god I better do something or so." leave me
0: I had a really good think earlier today it was great
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice because I put on the telly and Olivia Pope just comes and lies next to me and has a <laughs> wee purr and then I just think well I'll just have a wee nap think I'll think about things for all... <laughs> and I do think about things deeply at that point
0: where can people find out what you're up to please Susan Kalman
1: I mean the best thing is I have a website but I don't really update it as much as I should because it costs me money um so Twitter, Susan Calman. Instagram, official Susan Calman. And there's a Facebook page as well that I post on. And I tend to do that. It, uh, that's where you'll find out what I'm doing. You know, I I meant to have a newsletter and stuff, but be, I do all my own social media and all my own stuff. And that I don't have time to do everything, unfortunately. One day when I have an assistant... It's never going to happen. I've got control issues. I've never let anyone do my booking travel. <laughs> um, uh, one day, I'm going to set up an email address to pretend to have an assistant and maybe psychologically that'll help. But yeah, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff.
0: And Sunny Side Up is available from all good bookshops, yes? it's Most bookshops.
1: Most bookshops. It's also available on Kindle and audiobook read by me as is Cheer Up Love. So... If you want to listen to me read both of my books, you can get them, I suspect, on Audible. I did make Ladylike, my only comedy show, is available on audio download as well. Free. I made it rights-free. because what's the point these days. You can get the video or audio version rights-free for about two quid, I think it is.
0: Amazing. Is that on your
1: website? Yes, my website is from Go Faster. It was lovely. We funded it ourselves. And I think I'm projected to make the money back on it in about 2028 if it keeps selling at the rate it's selling. So keep buying it. (laughs) (laughs) That's (laughs) incredible stuff. (laughs) Listen, I'm nothing if not a good businesswoman, right? I'm getting a return (laughs) on that after 15 years. This is is going well. It's going well.
0: Can I just say, by the way, the story about you going to death row is incredible. I loved it. It was well, I I was scared for you, but I also loved it. Yeah.
1: No, it's quite I've lived, it, It's quite interesting when you read back on things. I've lived quite a life, you know, because going to work on death row at the age of 20 and working at the United Nations in Geneva when I was 19 or whatever, you know, I had quite a prompt in Korean law, if only I'd stuck at it. But, yeah, having guns pointed at me in, in America was quite interesting. Yeah, it was Jesus. quite interesting. <laughs> Actually, it was quite interesting. The fact that they sent you in as bait... Okay, yeah, kind of was big, yes, yes, to see how the person would react to me. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, but this is the joy of the youth, isn't it? Because now I'm terrified of everything. Whereas when I was 19 or 20, nothing frightened me. Yeah, okay, I'll go into a maximum security prison in rally. and meet a guy who's killed a few women. Shit, yeah, sure, no problem at all. <laughs> Nowadays, um, I walked home last night in Derby from the book festival doing that whole thing you do when you walk home yourself, looking really confident. You know, that walk you're taught to do when you're on your own. No phone out, no headphones on. You know, I I do body combat. I'll take you out if you come near me. And at the age of 20, I was travelling around the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia having shotguns pointed at me, you know. And now I'm an anxiety-filled tiny woman. I'm currently at my I'm at my bay window checking the street out. That's what this is what I do most days if I'm at home. <laughs> I keep a note of the traffic, who's visiting whose houses. No I'm not nosing at my neighbours, it's for safety reasons. <laughs> Susan, it's been a pleasure. I'll get back to noting down number plates in my street. <laughs> Standard issue for all women.